Hello from Ellensburg, Washington, USA. This is the Nick Zentner Geology Podcast, Episode 47, Exotic Inliers. Thanks for listening. Well, we're talking about exotic terrains again, and I should define inlier right off the bat. That's the title of the program, right? Inlier is like a window. It's a direct portal that you can look through and see something exotic. <laughs> so I've mentioned this before, and uh, I'll do it again right now. If we're going back to the earliest days of building Washington, Oregon, etc., and we are, then we don't get a chance to see those rocks very much because they're old. And the oldest rocks, the basement rocks of the Pacific Northwest, have mostly been covered up by all sorts of stuff going on more recently. I'm talking about rocks that are older than 50 million years ago. That's a lot of the exotic terrain material, older than 50, younger than 200, I might add. So we're not going back to the dawn of time. We're not going back billions of years here in the Pacific Northwest. But as mentioned in the last episode, which I just listened to, by the way, because it's been almost a month since I've done the last episode. I sincerely apologize. Um, let me finish my thought, and then I'll comment more on that. So, as I've mentioned in past episodes, these exotic terrains are difficult to get your hands on. To get down on all fours and just kiss that bedrock, you thought I was going to say something different, maybe. It's not, it's not common. So when you get a chance to actually stumble onto a place that has not been buried by younger lavas or younger glacial till or mm, younger sedimentary layers, you take advantage. And so if you're looking, especially in Washington and in Oregon, for Mesozoic bedrock, it's rare, number one, and that little place that doesn't have a bunch of cover is called an inlier. So it's almost redundant. If you, if you understand the basic concept of exotic terrains and you know that it's mostly uh, concealed, then, yeah, you're going you're gonna to take these little windows when you can get them. But I am going to talk about three more of these inliers, these windows, these portals, that I have visited recently. And... Uh, that's the topic today. We're going to go to the Ingalls terrain, the Menashtash inlier, and the Rimrock Lake inlier. That's where we're headed. But I have a few announcements and a little bit of backstory here uh, before we get there. Hope you're willing to do that. I just, I just listened to the, the last episode, Mowing the Lawn, uh, this morning. I'm all... Um, sweaty, but uh, before I thought I took a shower, I'd come down here and, and record this thing. I'm kind of dripping all over the... too much information. Okay, stop that. Um, I was a little nauseated at how much I was talking about the Nick Zentner this and the Nick Zentner that, so I don't want to do a whole bunch of that today. However... <laughs> However, I, I have been announcing in the last uh, couple of days that I'm returning to the live streams. So if you haven't heard this yet, and you've seen some of the live streams that I did here from my backyard this spring, uh, I'm returning. 
uh, Wednesday, September 9th, 2020, at 6 o'clock p.m. Pacific time. And that's a familiar time for many of those live streams. Um, And so I'm going to do two new live streams each week, starting September 9th, and probably rolling through the rest of the fall, uh, maybe going into early December. I'm not sure how many weeks I'll be at it. But uh, I wanted to announce that and let you know in case you are wanting to um, join us again live uh, from my backyard. So that will be Wednesday evenings, 6 p.m. Pacific, and Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. Pacific, uh, for, I don't know how many weeks that is, but a lot of weeks, September, October, and November. And the new wrinkle is, and I kind of hinted at this in the last episode of this podcast, it's going to be nothing but exotic terrains. I've got exotic terrains on the brain. I can't stop. I'm super excited at the moment. Now, that's probably going to fade as the fall goes on, and I'm going to get more and more of a headache, um, especially if I feel like people aren't getting what I'm doing. But uh, as discussed in the last episode of this series, uh, I don't feel like anybody is really trying to teach this stuff. And it's deeply unsatisfying if you try to teach exotic terrains in just an hour or two. There's no way you can do anything substantial. And the opposite end of the spectrum is you, you go into absolute gory detail about all sorts of lithologies and geochemical signatures and everything else, and you lose the will to live pretty quickly as you read through that stuff or you sit through talk after talk after talk at some sort of conference. So as usual, my hope is to find some sort of sweet spot where we're doing more than just Geology 101, and we're doing less than the gory detail. I think there is a sweet spot. I think there is a way to get into some rather interesting content, some of which has been worked out in the research community really in the last 10 years. And of course, many, many major questions remain. But I'm willing to give it a try as I sit here in late August of 2020. Now, check back with me uh, in December when I'm barely able to speak and uh, looking back and thinking that was a complete failure. I don't know. I really don't know. But it's been on my mind. It's been on my list for a long time to try to tackle the North Cascades. And to do it properly, then, of course, we have to get into British Columbia. And to do that properly, we got to get up into Alaska. And to get that properly, we need to go down to Oregon, California, and Mexico. But I've been flirting with this long enough that I think I'm going to give it a try. I know I'm going to give it a try. I've been announcing it in different platforms. So you heard it here first. Nick from home, live stream number 76 on September 9th and so on. I don't know. I suppose we'll get up towards 100 live streams by the end of that exotic, uh, quote-unquote, class, the exotic sessions. All right. Um, Another announcement slash little bit of content for you is I've been, in the last two months I've been doing these these uh, field uh, videos these these short geology videos that I take my cell phone and the gizmo and I've got a wireless microphone set up now and so I've been going out pretty regularly and that's my excuse um, <laughs> if I need an excuse for uh, abandoning you this month uh, 
I've been going out pretty much every other day um, and going to a new place and learning some new rocks and filming as I'm learning. And that gets us to the inliers that I'm about to talk about. But before I do that, I'll do one more quick preamble, and that is I have more than one microphone now. And so I've been filming other people. I've been interviewing people in the field or in their backyard. And I'm particularly pleased with a few of them. Um, in fact, I'm pleased with all of them, but the microphone has taken me a while to figure out how to get rid of the popping and the buzzing and the other things with the mics. And so uh, the Merle Beck interview in particular, I'm extremely fond of, but it was kind of a crackling microphone thing, which, you know, I can't seem to shake those kinds of things. Um, but I mention this because five of those short videos are not exactly short. They're interviews from the field. I'll give you the list right now. Jeff Tepper, geologist from University of Puget Sound. That's one of the Nick on the Fly episodes. Randy Lewis, Native American, going to Camas Meadows. Mike Eddy and his grad student Aaron uh, Donaghy uh, that I met above Wenatchee at Mission Ridge. Merle Beck drove up to Bellingham, Washington and interviewed him in his backyard. And most recently, Daryl Cowan over at the University of Washington. I went to his home, visited with him in the backyard for obvious reasons. We're still dealing with uh, COVID stuff. So in addition to kind of being out solo, which I think is uh, the bread and butter of those short geology videos, I'm also uh, occasionally visiting with uh, guests. Two of those, maybe three of those interviews, I'm going to use this fall uh, because Merle Beck and Daryl Cowan uh, were major players in the Baja BC concept that I've talked about in this podcast. Merle's the father of the whole thing, and he's in his late 80s. So I strongly recommend finding that interview if you haven't seen it yet. And uh, you know what? Mm-hmm. I think I just decided right now. I'm going to take that Merle interview, even though the microphone pops a bit. Uh, I'm going to post that here. It's just a conversation between me and Merle, and, and my voice is purposely lower than Merle's, so you can kind of barely hear me, I think. Um, you can make out Merle. I don't need to do a bunch of disclaimers. It's good enough that I think you'll enjoy listening to it. So the next episode of this podcast series, this audio podcast, will be just the audio from the Merle Beck interview. If you want to watch it in video form, you can find it at my YouTube channel. And then I th I'm very pleased with the microphone quality from the Daryl Cowan interview. And he's a different personality, but equally uh, satisfying, I think, and I think you might enjoy the hymn as well. And again, that's going to kind of set up uh, what I'm doing with the live streams. So I'd like to say that I'm going to be back doing these audio podcasts every week or twice a week or whatever, but I, I just don't think I'm going to say that. I'm sorry. I, I This is not my first priority. Gee, did I hurt your feelings? Did I hurt my feelings? Did I hurt somebody's feelings? Did I hurt the cat's feelings? I'm not really sure. Um but most of my energy is 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 going into uh, the video stuff. I, I'm getting a lot of enjoyment out of it, and 
uh, it's so weird to learn something on a Monday morning and then share it with a large audience the next day and have like live, you know, interactions with people. I mean, my God, it wasn't that long ago. I was, you know, reading papers and planning field trips and, you know, I'm doing stuff like six months or a year in advance. So I'm getting, I'm getting spoiled with this immediacy of, of learning some fact, some of these things I'm, I'm well, let, let's get to it. So the rest of this episode, I'm 12 minutes in already. The rest of this episode, we'll be talking about the details of these three exotic inliers. And let's go ahead and do that. The theme for all three of these is that I purposely, you can find them on my YouTube channel if you want to watch the video. Actually, I'm not going to post the audio here. So yeah, let me just talk about it as kind of a backstory so that you can get a little bit more out of those three um, video Nick on the Flies. Excuse me. So I've gotten enough feedback with the video programs uh, in the field that people like the informality of it and they like learning along with me. So I maybe have, lately have been going too far uh, in this direction, but I mean, I'm at least the one I just filmed down at uh, Rimrock Lake, which I haven't posted yet, by the way, online. Uh, I'm reading... I'm filming myself, <laughs> so narcissistic. I'm filming myself reading a few paragraphs of text. I keep the camera going. I get out of the frickin' car. I grab the hammer. I go over and see if I can bang on some rocks and, and actually see what the guy was talking about in the paper. And I think it works. As, as weird as it sounds, now, of course, I edit a little bit of the stuff out if I'm spending 20 minutes looking for a decent sample. But in, in many cases, uh, just keep it rolling. Don't edit very much. And, you know, if, if something's out of focus or if I slip and fall or whatever, I, I think it, it, uh, it, it serves its purpose. So that's what I've been doing with these last three exotic inliers. Okay, let's talk about them. Have you heard of a place called Ingalls Creek? I'm sure there was a guy named Ingalls. Uh, I should know all that. That's like military history or something. I don't know. In central Washington. So we're going to three inliers for the rest of this episode. The Ingalls Inlier, the Manastash Inlier, and the Rimrock Lake Inlier. All three of them are direct windows into our Mesozoic past. All right. So I've learned a few things that I can share with you. There's still some clarification that I need. Let's go to the Ingalls first of all. So we leave Ellensburg. We get on US 97. We drive north. We go up and over Blewett Pass. We're not to the Ingalls Inlier yet. That's Swalk Formation. That's stuff that's younger than 60 million years. It's not going to help us. That's not the exotic stuff. We need the exotic stuff. And I don't think I need to go back and define exotic terrains. At least I hope I don't, since we're this far in the series. Okay, so once we get over Blewett Pass, I'm talking mostly to locals now. If you're listening in New York City or Madrid, I guess this is going to work for you. Oh, you can get on Google Maps, I guess. 
once you get north of Blewett Pass, that's B-L-E-W-E-T-T, Blewett Pass, you're still in Swalk, sandstones and shales with some uh, Tianaway basalt feeder dikes. And then the road gets real narrow and real squirrely, and that's because you're in a pretty tight canyon heading north. You're driving towards Leavenworth, essentially. And it, the, the canyon got narrow because you've left that soft sandstone of the Swalk, and you've gotten into this very hard, very dark-colored bedrock. Difficult to erode, therefore, Peshastan Crick has had a hell of a time cutting into that stuff. That's the Ingalls terrain. That's the Ingalls inlier. And there are a bunch of local formation names. Can I remember some of them now? I guess there's a Peshastan formation within the Ingalls terrain. There's the Ingalls tectonic complex. And I had never stopped at this outcrop. Now, I did have a field guide written by Jamie McDonald, the same guy that I talked about in the last uh, audio podcast, Florida Gulf Coast. He, as far as I can tell, has spent more than a decade studying Mesozoic rocks out here using uh, new geochemistry and uh, dating techniques to uh, build on previous work. Uh, but Jamie had uh, a 2017 field trip there tied to the Seattle GSA meeting, and so I had locations for his outcrops. But it's so damn noisy. You're right by a U.S. highway. There's trucks going back and forth, you know, the whole thing. It brings back bad memories of being a undergraduate geology student in the Midwest, and the only outcrops you have are you know, in, in all these cornfields in southern Wisconsin, and you've got a little bit of limestone and sandstone to look at, and so there's 65 of you huddled, freezing your ass off on the shoulder of a busy road, and the professor way up front's got a little megaphone thing, you know, circa 1984, and, you know, most of us in the back can't even hear what the hell's going on. We're just waiting for him to stop yakking so we can get back in the vans and warm up. <laughs> So I don't do those those highway stops very much. The noise, but also my personal baggage, apparently. All right. But I did it in this case because Jamie said there's a great outcrop, and there certainly was. Now, do you know what an ophiolite is? An ophiolite? I'd always tied the Ingalls terrain to something called an ophiolite, and I'm still totally flummoxed by the whole concept of where exactly we are on the ocean floor when looking at an ophiolite. I guess we're tied to a spreading ridge, but you know, I, I got I got to work on that. So I don't have detail there. But the main point is many of the green, glassy, very hard rocks, metamorphic rocks, are ultramafic there with the Ingalls inlier meaning they're very low in silica, and it's a variety of rocks that are really talking about the mantle. You're looking at parts of the Earth's mantle that have made it not only to the surface, but have then got crammed, uh, you know, thousands of feet above sea level and made it their way into central Washington. And, of course, it's not just central Washington. You can find these ultramafic rocks in specific ribbons all through from Alaska down to Mexico. But the Ingalls terrain is one of those. 
So, as I mentioned a few seconds ago, I'm filming, I'm reading, I'm sitting in the sun, I'm reading some of Jamie's text, and I'm banging on some more rocks, and I'm showing the viewers, and then I'm looking at a geologic map next to the Peshastan Creek, and then I'm finding a quieter spot to talk about potential analogies that I have, food analogies. I might use a fruitcake, for instance. Still not sure about that, but I need some kind of catchy way to refer to the exotic basement. And you're like, why do you have to do all that food stuff? Why do you have to do all this, you know, corny, um, haha, corny analogies? Well, it's fun, number one. Two, it's memorable. Three, it uh, oftentimes uh, helps folks visualize what you're talking about. The German chocolate cake is what I've used uh, for a few years now with the Columbia River basalts. People love it. You know, not everybody does. There's usually a live comment on enough. If you say German chocolate cake one more time, I'm going to dot, dot, dot. You know, it's like, whatever, bro. Go ahead. So I was uh, in that Ingalls episode um, sharing with the group just ideas about what I might use as an analogy. Another idea was parquet floor. I, I thought a parquet floor was something that it's not, apparently. I thought a parquet floor was really a truly chaotic collection of different kinds of wood making up like the Boston Gardens floor. But apparently parquet floors are usually artistic and very organized. Uh, with patterns, and that's really not what we want. These these inliers that we have to give us a look at the Mesozoic basement is, is anything but ordered. So fruitcake is, you know, got a composite of things uh, that are not ordered, uh, not organized, and not ordered, and maybe that's better. So I'm kind of, I guess, with this audio podcast, setting you up to go and watch a little bit of the video stuff, if you're so interested, but if you're so inclined. But Jamie, also from the Ingalls Rocks, which, again, I've known vaguely about for 30 years, he's got brand new stuff with dates from zircons that he can tease out of some of those ultramafic rocks and then get high-precision lead, uranium lead dates. He's got geochem, and he's making ties, as I talked about in the last episode. He's up to his same tricks with the Ingalls terrain. Can I remember at the moment? I don't think I can. But I was reading some of that to the audience as well. What a great episode. The guy hasn't even prepped for it. He's just like referring to the video. Well, maybe I am. Okay, well, that's north of Interstate 90 north of Blewett Pass, as I mentioned. And there's even some argillite, some old uh, deep ocean shale or clays that got, uh, the, the clays got turned into mud, the mud got turned into shale, the shale got turned into slate, the slate got turned into argillite. And there's some of that that I didn't actually film, but it was because uh, I was running out of battery, but it's, it's right there on the highway as well. So you might enjoy looking just simply at a variety of those ultramafic, green, waxy-looking rocks in the Ingalls. All right. If we go south of Interstate 90, 
and go south of the Kalielum Ridge. Now, remember, that's what we were talking about in the last episode here. We were talking about the Nice um, uh, at South Hicks Butte, Nice, and again, Jamie has new dates in chemistry there. This is just a few days ago. I went up to uh, earlier this week, Tuesday. Um, I went up to Quartz Mountain. So many in, lo- in central Washington know that location, Quartz Mountain. I expected the whole, it's, it's a beautiful high point above 6,000 feet, Quartz Mountain. You might be able to find it on Google Maps. And I know that on a clear day, and it was a clear morning, you can look west and Rainier's right in your face. And it was. There was a little forest fire down low that was a bit of a distraction. But for the most part, it was a bluebird day. And up on Quartz Mountain, you can look west to Rainier, and then you can look north to the Stewart Range. And uh, it's a wonderful spot. It takes about an hour and a half on uh, Forest Service Road 31. Just go to the McDonald's at Ellensburg and head west. Just follow the South Fork of Menashtash Creek all the way up. And uh, so you're up there a ways. Uh, but I was very surprised when I got up there. It had been 20 years since I'd been up there. There really isn't much outcrop, at least on the road, or a place where you kind of stop and park and kind of take in the panorama. So, I, again, I started filming. I was like, where, where's the outcrop? What can we look at? I found a little bit of what I think was thinly bedded. Uh, I guess it was shit now. I guess it was schist, but maybe almost kind of an uh, argillite, possibly even an amphibolite. Uh, But it was thinly bedded. I guess it was schist. Um, So, you know, I commented on that video that you're up on top of Quartz Mountain. It's Mesozoic. It's another uh, exotic terrain. But where's the bedrock? Where's the outcrop? And the benefit of posting this stuff and then getting comments from viewers... I just saw a comment this morning. He says, I hunt up there all the time, This whoever this person was. That's my that's my elk hunting area, and uh, there's tons of quartz. You just had to drop over the north side of Quartz Mountain. Just drop down below the road, and, and you'll find amazing amounts of quartz. So it makes me want to go back up there. But anyway, it's Quartz Mountain for a reason. But that episode, also Jamie McDonald... I was just trying to find outcrop, which I did, and started banging open rocks and trying to match his rock descriptions in his paper about the Manastash inlier. So I was up on the, the westernmost edge of the Manastash Ridge. And if you know Manastash Ridge closer to Ellensburg, you're confused because that's nothing but German chocolate cake that's been folded, part of the Yakima fold and thrust belt. And that's true. But if you get far enough west on Manashtash, you eventually get out of the basalts. And that's really the drive from McDonald's in Ellensburg. You're, you're in basalts. In fact, it was kind of fun to follow that. You're going up, 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 up. You're driving west. You're going up. The creek's getting smaller and smaller. You're still in the basalts. You're still in the German chocolate cake. You're still in this rock that's like 15 million years old. And then suddenly, you're out of it. And it's heavily forested. I mean, it's national forest land, so there's not tons of outcrop. But when you do see outcrop, it's it's Mesozoic inlier. It's exotic terrain. It's not uh, the German chocolate cake. So after starting the Quartz Mountain exotic 
episode up on top with the panorama. Then I just started driving a little bit back towards Ellensburg looking for outcrops. And I found some amphibolite near Hereford Meadow. Amphibolite, I don't think, is pretty uh, the most handsome-looking rock. Um, but there's a lot of it up there. And that's metamorphos, metamorphos basalt, I believe, part of the ocean floor. But actually, now that I say that, I'm not sure that's true. The main message that I was hoping to sink my teeth into, but I only found a few little kernels of granite, is that there is something called the Quartz Mountain Stock. Now, stock in geology, that's a geology term, stock. Stock means a mini batholith. And do you know batholith? Remember what batholith is? Batholith is a huge blob of molten magma that was underground and cooled slowly and formed a plutonic igneous rock, like the Mount Stewart batholith, or the Sierra Nevada batholith, or the Idaho batholith, or the Chilliwack batholith, or the Snoqualmie batholith. You got it now. Well, a stock is just a smaller blob. And there are plenty of stocks, although I don't know stock is being used that often. But in the case of this Menashtash inlier, the Quartz Mountain stock was a thing that intruded into the amphibolite. And again, Jamie has good dates now on the, not only the magma that intruded into the terrain, but the terrain itself. Again, do I remember the dates? No, but we're, we're older than 140 million years. So I smacked open some granite. It's technically granodiorite and tonalite, but who cares? It's basically granitic looking. And then I uh, shot some video looking north to the Stewarts and found a $5 bill, no big deal. And then just before I was ready to finish filming, I found one more outcrop that I thought maybe was the stock, but it wasn't. It was this beautiful schist, beautiful foliated schist, part of the Lookout Mountain Formation, I believe. Also part of this exotic terrain. The schist I brought home, a few pieces, beautiful sheen to it. Foliation is simply the, the minerals lined up parallel to each other in the kind of these sheets. Handsome rock. And you got the sense that if you looked hard enough, there'd be some granite, uh, garnets to find as well, a little bit of garnet schist. So the goal for filming at these little exotic inliers was just to take a little inventory, to take a paper up there, break open some rocks, give some visuals to the rock units, and assume that later this fall I'll be making some connections that I am and I, uh, connections that I am unable to, that was hard to say, connections that I am unable to at the moment. In other words, how does the stuff at the Menashtash in Lyre relate to the stuff at the Ingalls in Lyre? And how does that stuff, both of those places, relate to the Rimrock in Lyre, which is the last of our exotic in Lyres to briefly describe. Now, I don't want to spoil this one too much because the video isn't out yet, and I haven't even looked at the footage yet, so for all I know, the microphone didn't work and none of it's usable, but hopefully it will be because I was down at the southernmost inlier in Washington. Again, 
we've got these little windows to look directly at the fruitcake and not have a bunch of stuff on top of the fruitcake. So the Rimrock Lake fruitcake window is pretty big, actually. Do you know that area between Yakima and White Pass? Um, the bedrock exposed right at White Pass, right, right as US-12 goes over white, that's exotic terrain right there. That's, that's part of the Rimrock Inlier. And so that's kind of the western edge of the Rimrock Lake Inlier. You can follow it south of US-12, north of US-12. You can get down uh, most of the shores of Rimrock Lake itself is Mesozoic Bedrock. So I started that episode. This was just yesterday when I filmed it. I kind of haven't even looked at the footage, so I'm having a hard time remembering what I did. But I know that I started, I, I just started on the south edge, uh, the south shore of Rimrock Lake, just driving this road. It was pretty quiet yesterday morning, hardly any traffic. And, uh, you know, it's like vac vacation cabins and things like that, boats. Nobody was out, really. So I kept stopping and looking, stopping and looking, just trying to find some obvious outcrop to film, since I had such a hard time up on Menashtash, the previous um, outing. And I did find a nice cliff full of greenish-looking rocks. So I stopped, got the camera out, started. This time I didn't read the paper first. I just went across the street and started filming, and I was just making some observations. And I think I was saying, like... Boy, I don't know what kind of rock this is. This is green. This is kind of waxy. It's not serpentinite. It's kind of like rounded. I'll have to look at the footage, but I think I kept saying, why is this green, exotic, mesozoic rock in, in such a kind of a mounded form? It's really unusual. I didn't see that at Ingalls. I didn't certainly see that at Menashtash. Or even the previous episode, Cleolum or the French cabin stuff. Didn't see that moundedness. And I was just thinking out loud as I was breaking those rocks open and just seeing a more ultramafic kind of ocean rock. And this is a lesson, I guess, for people of all disciplines. Are you willing to make a fool out of yourself? Are you, are you willing to be vulnerable, I guess? I guess if you're younger... Or if there's different circumstances in your career or your life or your background, that's just a no-fly zone for you, that you're just not willing to risk looking dumb. And I think when I was younger, that was, that was important. I didn't want to look dumb. But one advantage of getting older, and you have experience, and I guess I'm speaking as a white male, um... It's not very risky to end up looking like an idiot. And I think I've learned by looking like an idiot that it's endearing. It's like, wow, this guy, I mean, you can't be making, you can't be an idiot the whole time. Nobody's going to listen to you. <laughs> but in this case, with my little uh, episode at Rimrock Lake, I'm banging rocks open, and I, instead of just holding it to myself, I said, I think more than once, are these pillow basalts from the Mesozoic? 
Is that even possible? And, you know, it's just something that I would normally say if I'm out, you know, doing stuff by myself or with another geologist, you know, I just kind of think out loud. You kind of try to think open uh, thoughts. You think critically. Uh, maybe I annoy people when I'm out with them because I'm constantly just talking out loud. Like, why is this like this? I don't get it. What's happening here? Could some, I don't, what kind of rock am I even looking at? This is, you know, it's that kind of running thing. I don't know, maybe I wouldn't want to be with me either. But the point is, I did that, I filmed it. In this case, I went back to the car, I kept it rolling, I started reading the definition, and sure enough, Bob Miller, I was using Bob Miller's paper from 30 years ago, talked about greenstone in pillow form. I just, so I lucked out in that situation and actually looked at some metamorphic rocks, which I'm not used to looking at, and, and made the correct call. So I'll keep it uh, in the video, both the thinking out loud and also the reading. And you might go, well, that's kind of self-serving. Well, there's plenty of stuff I keep, uh, and it's totally wrong. But I think the audience enjoys that process. I think that's what I'm trying to say here. They enjoy the process of thinking out loud with me. You know, some some people that watch and constantly comment are, you know, pretty damn obnoxious, I must say, just between you and me. They got it, the answers for everything, and half the time they're wrong. And there's not a whole lot of, um, I shouldn't even have said that. The point is, it's fine to be wrong if you eventually correct yourself and show the humility and show the full process instead of just blatantly saying, yeah, that's that, and that's that, and that's that, and you move on. And you never do circle back and go, you know what? Remember what I said? That's totally wrong. <laughs> I want that if I'm listening to somebody. I, I want that full experience. I just don't want the, the BS that nobody's willing to go back and, and say, yeah, well, you got me on that one. Totally wrong. So if you're waiting for content from the Rimrock Lake Inlier, I'm sorry for this uh, scenic route, but I guess you've heard these enough to know that I, I take detours. I started with that green stone, which is metamorphosed basalt, pillow structures. I still can't believe they're still in pillow form 140 million years later, but apparently they are. Found some granitic stuff along the shores of Rimrock Lake. Super ugly. What was it part of? The Indian Creek Complex, I think it's called. Not very impressed at all. Got up high on the road up to Pinegrass Ridge, saw, uh, had a nice viewpoint overlooking much younger geology involving Kluchman Rock and Goose Egg Mountain, stuff that I've talked about before with the ghost volcanoes and the Titan andesite flow, but that's probably going to be kept there. seems to me there's one more Mesozoic bedrock lithology that I should include here. Oh, yeah, I did find some um, pretty interesting chert beds. And if you've ever been to the San Juan Islands in northwestern Washington, Rosario Head, I believe, is the location. Fidalgo Island. Uh, there's some beautiful ribbon shirt. If you want to see it, uh, there, we filmed, I don't think it was captured very well, but 
we filmed it uh, with a little five-minute episode on uh, Deception Pass, Nick on the Rocks in uh, PBS, Deception Pass show. And um, I found similar-looking ribbon shirt within that, what was the name of that unit? Uh, sugar. So there's a chert unit, and then there's that greenstone unit within the... Can't do it. Sorry, you'll have to watch that episode. Um, but the point is, another collection of Mesozoic bedrock in the Rimrock Lake area, west of Yakima, Washington, a place that I never dreamt we would be looking at another Mesozoic inlier, but we are. And it's one of the bigger ones. And the ultimate question then is, how does that fit into the rest of the fruitcake? Okay, I'm past 40 minutes on this thing. That was meandering. What else is new? Uh, what did we talk about? Three exotic inliers and some other stuff, of course. But the three inliers were the Ingalls, the Manastash, and the Rimrock Lake inliers of central Washington, all within an hour and a half drive of, of my backyard. And I'll be expanding on those and using those in these live stream sessions starting on Wednesday, September 9th at 6 p.m. Pacific time. You made it to the end. You're a good podcast. You are a good podcast student, and I appreciate you very much. Thanks for listening to this one. I can't promise when the next one of these audio podcasts will come, but Hope that you enjoy the live streams, especially if you want to join us live. But of course, as you know, you can watch those live streams in replay at any point. Thank you, dear listener. I love you. Goodbye from Ellensburg, Washington, USA. This is Nick Sentner speaking. Have a good day. <laughs>